good morning, good afternoon, good evening, when you're listening to it, and hi for listening to it. Thank you for making the sports and the world podcast a part of your day. I'm Ladarius. And I'm Chris. And hope all of you are safe and well out there. And how are you, my man? I'm hanging in there, man. How about you? Good, good. You know, doing great for a lot of reasons, you know, given the circumstances. But I know a couple of teams that are very good today, jumping to college, you know, somebody like Notre Dame, big win by Florida. And I'll give a little love to the Pac-12 later. It's 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 a rarity, but there was a couple there. There was one Pac-12 game that was pretty good. But before we dive, before I dive in, uh, give me your thoughts on the college football weekend. Uh, you know what? It was, again, one of the better weekends. I, I think I touched on it a couple weekends ago how, um, you know, it was, it was kind of a lame duck. This weekend was just a fast-firing, angry, immaculate college ball game, a uh, bunch of games to watch. So, um, you know, kind of circling through uh, in, in the almost college conference, uh, the ACC, uh, Miami uh, barely squeaked one out over uh, NC State, uh, 44-41. to um, So I'm sure the U is back, or however they want to say it. Um, Virginia Tech somehow lost to Liberty. I'm not exactly sure who they are, where they're from. Um, but, you know, they did it. And you already know how I feel about those kinds of games. Um, one of the more impressive ones that I was actually watching, I, I caught a little bit of it Friday night, was the BYU and Boise State game. Did you catch any of that? I did. It was it was a very good game. It's, I like their quarterback, uh, Zach Wilson. Yeah, I, I, I was impressed with the way he played. I don't feel like they should be ranked as high as they are, but credit is given or credit is due. Come around again and you'll get it too. That's what the Riddler always said. Um <laughs> You know, they they, they beat uh, Boise State is one of those teams that's considered, you know, like the, the on the cusp of the power five elitists, you know, types that we are. Um, I don't I don't necessarily think they should be ranked uh, a top 10 team, but I definitely think they should be ranked. Um, but we'll we'll see what goes on with there. Um, one of the more disappointing games, and I think it was a must win scenario, was uh, the Michigan, Indiana game. Uh, Indiana squeaked on Michigan, uh, 38-21. And it was just a, another very disappointing uh, performance by by the Michigan Wolverines. Uh, granted, I mean, Indiana's really stepped their game up. They're 3-0 and this season. Uh, not that they've played a ton of talent, but they're undefeated nonetheless. Michigan's 1-2. and I'm wondering at this point, um, where does Harborough fall in this? Um, you know, I mean, Joe Milton threw, he went 18 for 34, 344 yards, uh, three TDs, but two interceptions. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and then their leading rusher had less than 20 yards, Ladarius, less than 20 yards. You can't win football games with less than 20 yards rushing for your, your, your leading rusher. So fun fact, there were six people that got charged with carries, you know, so who actually were behind the line of scrimmage, got handed the ball off out of those six players. Three of them have negative yardage. Jesus. Let that marinate for a little bit. Um, that, that is not a good soup. Um, just in case you're wondering, um, Michigan needs to identify themselves of who they are, where they fit in and what they should be doing. Because at the rate that, uh, uh, they're, they're going, 
it, it's it's starting to look ugly and something needs to something needs to happen and if if that is where they're going to be going then i think that they should possibly make some uh uh some some rearranging to be to, just to be blunt honest with the coaching staff i i don't think that uh uh harborough is cut out for college and, and i hate saying that and I think you and I have had that conversation on more than one occasion about him. So I'm not going to, to, to just completely beat a dead horse, but at the same time, something might need to, uh, to, to be done here with, with a situation at, at hand. Um, hopefully they figured out, I hate seeing a, an elite program like Michigan, uh, Michigan struggle, but, um, here we are, uh, Oklahoma, you know, circling through the, the, the big 12, Oklahoma just blew out Kansas. I think that was a much needed win for them. Uh, Oklahoma state on the other hand, struggled against Kansas state, uh, with a, a 20 to 18 win. Um, I, I don't know what it is with, with the, the Kansas state wildcats. They are, you know who they remind me of Ladarius. They're like the Michigan state of, of the big 12. They're not great but they're good enough that they can piss on somebody's parade. And if you think back to Michigan State, how many times did they they screw off Ohio State or Michigan and put them in, into a, a one-loss or two-loss situation that might uh, uh, evict them from uh, a national championship uh, probability? And it, like, Kansas State is like one of those teams that they're almost at a point where they could start uh, uh, messing with the water of the, uh, of the Big 12. Um, one of the more honestly exciting games that I did get to watch was, of course, the Notre Dame and Clemson game. Um, that was a hard-fought game on both sides. Um, you know, respect Clemson, even without their star quarterback, they still put points on the board. A lot of teams can't do that. If you look at uh, teams where the very few teams have been blessed with good backup quarterbacks, they'll have their one stud in the stable, and then the rest of them are just kind of running around with chickens with their heads cut off. Um, but Clemson hung in there, uh, until overtime came in. And then unfortunately that, that double overtime is, is what sealed the coffin. But DJ Ugalele, uh, or however the hell you say his last name. I mean, the man threw for over 430 yards and two touchdowns. You can't ask, you can't ask more of a quarterback. And then on top of that, he didn't throw interceptions. And that's one thing I, I always harp on is that the, if you're going to throw touchdowns, make sure that you you don't throw interceptions because it almost negates throwing that touchdown to begin with. But, um, you know, I, I, I think for Notre Dame, this was a game that they had to win to prove that they're, they're something of relevance. I mean, you know how I feel, and I think our, our listeners know how I feel about Notre Dame. I think they're a very overranked program for the most part, and normally you put Notre Dame in game situations like this, they lose. It's just, it's statistics. Look at them. They, they, they got put into the national championship a few years ago and they got put into a bowl and got smoked faster than a dime bag at Snoop Dogg's house. I mean, it just, it, it, it was ugly and it was traumatizing, but I also enjoyed every ounce and second of watching it. Um, but hats off to Notre Dame for this. That, that was a well-deserved and hard fought win. And I think they needed it for the validity of their program this season to be taken seriously. Um, you know, uh, you wanted to touch on the Pac-12. I, I checked a little bit of the Oregon and Stanford game. Um, I, I got an employee of mine who graduated from Oregon, so I got to hear all his dumb shit and all of his... He does have some cool shoes, though. I will give him that. 
This man, <laughs> he's got some sweet shoes and some sweet jerseys, man. Oregon knows how to dress. They just yeah. can't play football worth a shit. But they yeah. did beat up on 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 Stanford today on on the uh, on the old tall trees. So hats off to them for that. That was a uh, uh, again. These are games that the Pac-12 you have to get assertive, dominant wins, and blowing out somebody by 21 points is, I think, more than assertive in my in my humble opinion. Um, I think that was a a, a hard fought game. Uh, and then you know, circling into the SEC, uh, Texas A&M outright destroyed South Carolina. Um, that was <laughs> that was a very hard one to watch. Uh, I, I caught a few plays of it. I saw the score. And I was just like, you know what? I, I don't see this game uh, uh, coming to fruition. I think I poked in about halfway through the third quarter. And it was already, I want to say, like 27 to zero. And I was just like, you know what? Th- this game's uh, this game's done and over with. <laughs> no point in watching this one. <laughs> then, of course, all eyes for me naturally, and I'm sure for you, uh, was the Florida-Georgia game. Yeah. And um, I think the Gators definitely put a beating down on Georgia for completely fucking up the votes in the election. Um, and I think the Gators and Dan Mullen had to go in there and teach them how to count. And they uh, they taught him some low numbers is what they taught him. Um, but, I mean, Kyle Trash just came out with outright dominance. You know, he went 30 for 43, 474 yards, four touchdowns, and an interception. I, I, this that was what the fifth game in a row that that he's thrown for over 400 yards or, or four touchdowns or something like that, which is an SEC record. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, on the rushing side, uh, you know, Kadarius Tony wasn't involved in the backfield as he was normally, um, but he did you know make some very crucial snags up in the air. Uh, uh, Damian Pierce, just the 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 little hard charging guy that he is, um, just just was just oh so dominant once again. Um, Emory Jones did his magic when it counted. You know, we saw him get a little bit more involved uh, in the in in this game than than previous ones. But you know, most importantly, I, I definitely want to give a shout out to Malik Davis. He didn't he didn't touch the end zone, unfortunately, but you know, he had 21 yards on the ground and a, and a perfect 100 yards in the air. And Georgia, for some reason, just didn't bother even covering the dump pass. It was like it's like if you play your friend in Madden. And like, like, and Ladarius, let's let's kick this back, or even like NFL Blitz. Let's rewind it, like cash money from the nine nine to the two thousand time range. Let's let's rewind it back then. Uh, geez, we're going that far back. Yeah, we're, right. we're going that far back. We're, so we're sitting, <laughs> we're sitting on our on our living room floors, and we're playing our Nintendo sixty fours, and we're playing NFL Blitz. Mm-hmm. And you always had that one friend. You could literally run the same play twenty times and probably score twenty times. Or at yep. least get huge chunks of yardage 20 times in a row. That was Kyle Trask to Malik Davis. He just kept hitting him on them dump passes. And the safety was just nowhere to be found. The corners, the linebackers, this 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 kid was just on his own. Um, and, and, and it wasn't just him, but Naquan Wright, same situation. He caught three receptions uh, out of the backfield for 71 yards and just completely just dominated the situation. Um, you know, of course, Kyle Pitts found the end zone, but he found his way out of the game early, unfortunately. Um, you know, due to that nasty, I, I don't want to say it was a, a premeditated hit, but I wouldn't, I don't think I would be too far off. The, the angle of impact and the way that he hit him, I, I that didn't settle too well with me. 
And I think even to the point where the coaching staff already started walking him to the locker room right after the hit, I think they knew that where, where that penalty was going. So I, I hope I, I know they said he's questionable for uh, for this game. But the thing that impressed me the most out of out of the game is, that, you know, Kyle Trask has Kyle Pitts as his safety blanket. And it's like no matter what he knows, he can throw in, and and he showed it in this game is that he threw in Pitts's general direction. And the man went up and snagged it out of the air. I, the, the one pass, I'm sure you know what I'm talking about, when he just turned and jumped and, and just ball hawked it out of the air. And number one, the man's like a foot and a half taller than anybody that's guarding him. So, I mean, trying to, to run press coverage on him, you're almost wasting your time because he's so damn tall. But regardless of it, Kyle Trask still marched down the field, still made complete passes, and still scored without his number one receiver, you know, his – his tight end without Kyle Pitts that shows honestly how developed of a quarterback he is at this stage. So I'm pretty excited to see the, how the rest of the season goes. This, this game coming up Saturday, I think is going to be an awfully intriguing one. So we'll be playing Arkansas and this is going to be the homecoming of Felipe Franks. This is the first game he's going to play on, on the swamp in the swamp as a, a, a Razorback in the first game since he broke his ankle. So I don't know if there's going to be some hostility, some resentment, some anger. And then on top of that, to see the kid who replaced him essentially have a Heisman quality season last year and this year. So that's going to be a real fun one to watch. Uh, other than that, you know, the usual suspects won, uh, you know, their games throughout the, the, the league. Uh, that's pretty much my, my wrap up for week 10. Looking, looking forward to week 11. But go Gators. I'm happy to see us beat the dogs. And honestly, I haven't seen dogs take that much of an ass beating since Michael Vick was playing for the Falcons. Yeah. Why, why did we have to go there? Why did we? <laughs> you know, wow. like you already knew. Like I, I think I even sent you that meme, and I, I'm pretty sure I told you I had it lined up, man. Yeah, yeah, you did. It, it didn't mean I signed off on it. But it, is. it was a slow day at the office that day, so I guess – I got to hire a new secretary, but yeah. <laughs> but I I want to start back, Chris, to the uh, Georgia uh, Florida Georgia game because I was impressed with everything you know everything that you said I was impressed with as well, but I want to talk about the Gator defense and I think Todd Grantham deserves a lot of credit. Yes, because if you remember if you remember last week, one of the things that I said, Chris, is is that if you can shut down Georgia's running game, because let's face it. They don't have a quarterback in Georgia. And you saw it again. I'll give you a stat in a minute to further validate that. So they shut down the run game. Listen, Zamir White for Georgia, you know, seven carries, 107 yards of the touchdown. That's great. But it wasn't a dominant performance in the run game. And here's the thing with the Florida defense, Chris. Florida had 29 first downs. You know how many first downs Georgia had the whole game, Chris? Probably not a lot. They had 12. Ooh. Todd Grantham and that game plan. Essentially, the game plan was this. You play zone, and we're going to talk about zone a little bit later. Play zone, make them beat you, Chris. Make them beat you deep. And they knew no, they knew Stetson Bitten couldn't do it. They knew Dewan Mathis couldn't do it. You play zone. Chris, they could have played any defense in the world Saturday. They could have played zone. They could have played man. They could have played nickel. It didn't matter, Chris. They had the game plan there defensively. And here's the thing. I want to talk about Dan Mullen. This is Dan Mullen's first win over Georgia. 
So this, this is a big win for the program. But more importantly, Chris, this was a statement game for the Gators. It was a statement game because everybody has their kryptonite. And let's face it, Chris, Georgia was our kryptonite. Absolutely. And, and we got over that hump. And this is a stat that's impressive to me. It is that Mullen's been there since 2018, Chris. Do you know how many games passing? you know how many games that the Gators have played under Dan Mullen that a Gator quarterback has thrown under 200 yards passing? I'll give you a clue. It's a number between 1 and 20. Uh, less than how many yards passing? 200? 200, yeah. I'll say, I'll say five. Seven. Damn, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm pretty close or usually spot on with these. Yeah, and the thing is, we don't rehearse it. You're, you're just good. So, and, and, and the reason why I say that, Chris, is that, let me tell you about Georgia. Between Stetson Bennett and Dewan Mathis, Chris, 9 of 29, 112 yards, two touchdowns, and three interceptions. That was between two quarterbacks. Two. Chris, I can't. This is the thing. If you look at the AP poll, Chris, you look at who's doing great, the Alabamas, the Ohio States, even the Clemsons. Chris, what's the common denominator? They have a quarterback. Yeah. They, even DJ, Yuga, Chris, they have a quarterback. So it's not like. Georgia, why can't Georgia win a national championship, Chris? You have a quarterback. And and, to, and under Kirby Smart, Kirby Smart's been there since 2016. And here's the thing, Chris, that same stat I gave you with under 200 yards passing, they're 23-5 and five in those games because they had great running backs there. They had DeAndre Swift. Chris, they had great running backs there. So they were able to kind of get away with it. But the reality is, Chris, in the new, listen, in the new, in the, in the new, in the new style of offenses, Chris, you got to have a guy to throw the ball. And Kirby Smart, been there since 2016. Mullen had seven games, Chris, of, of less than 200 yards passing. Kirby Smart has had 28 games since 2016, but they have not thrown the ball 200 mm. yards. And that just that hurts. That honestly, honestly hurts. And, and like I say, running the ball is great. But at some point, Chris, it, 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 you're not going to win football games. And speaking of not winning football games, Look, Clemson-Notre Dame was a very good game, Chris. I've watched it, you know, uh, because I predicted Clemson to win. Clemson hung around in this game. And first and foremost, and I want to tell people this, this Notre Dame winning does not demean this win. Clemson's a very stacked team. They beat a very good team at home. And the last time Notre Dame beat a team, a number one team of the country, was when once upon a time, the Florida State Seminoles were the number one team in the country. They went into South Bend and they lost to Notre Dame. So that was 1993. That's how big of a win this was for Brian Kelly. He needed this win for his program. And I want to talk about their running back, Kyron Williams, Chris. 23 carries, 140 yards, three touchdowns. Williams is the fifth player, Chris, with 100 rush yards and two rushing touchdowns versus Clemson. And, Chris, I'm going to give you the next four names, and I want to see if they sound familiar to you, Chris. You're a smart guy. I want to see if they sound familiar. Dalvin Cook, Lamar Jackson, Derrick Henry, Todd Gurley. And then, Kyron, that's the list. That that Derrick Henry fellow, isn't he that giant running pack that pretty much just bullies his way through linebackers and secondaries in the NFL? Yeah, he he's the he, guy. Didn't he stiff-arm somebody so hard they flew into the sideline? 
Yeah, I, okay. I, I think just wanted to make sure I, I might know one of these guys. Yeah, I, I think I think that person is still on the sidelines as we speak. <laughs> so, so and and that Dalvin Cook guy, Chris, I think he's gonna be all right. I think he's gonna be a good prospect, Chris. I'm just saying that Dalvin Cook guy, I think he's gonna be a star in, in, in the NFL. Just you know, listen, I'm no Mel Kiper, but but you know, but but I think he's gonna be a star. And and going back to your point on Clemson, that loss snapped a 28-game win streak versus ACC teams, 50 straight games versus all games played on Saturday, 38, 36 regular season wins, and 14 straight road wins. That was all the streaks that were snapped on Saturday night. And here's the key, Chris. This is why Clemson, in close games, I, I believe in three mantras, turnover, tempo, and time. Where Clemson lost was turnovers. They had three fumbles, Chris, and one of those fumbles was returned for a touchdown. You, when you're on the road with a with a freshman quarterback, Chris, you can't. You have to play clean. You gotta play clean as possible, especially when you're going on the road in South Bend in a tough environment. But that doesn't diminish the way Clemson played. But I guarantee you, Dabo Swinney showed that play, and he's going to show it this week. We got to clean that up. We got to clean that up. And and speaking of cleaning things up, Chris, listen. Yeah, I'm talking about the Pac-12, Chris. And I know how you're such a huge fan of the Pac-12. Oh, right? yeah, totally, yeah. But I'll just throw this in and say this. Arizona State and USC was probably the best Pac-12 game I've seen in a long time. And, and simply put, Arizona State, they were in it. This is this is how good that Jaden Daniels kid is. 11 to 23, 34 yards, 134 yards, a touchdown, threw one 11 carries, 111 yards. Chris, he accounted for 62.5% of Arizona State's offense. He accounted for 245 of the 392 total offensive yards for Arizona State. Jeez. It was it was basically it, it was Jaden Daniels. That was pretty much it. And USC, Chris, I was impressed, and I know I rag on USC. You know, listen, 556 total yards, and they had three three turnovers, Chris. Do you know that they're 16-0 and 0 in those games, Chris? When they, when they have, with 500 or more yards of offense and three or more turnovers, they're 16-0. and 0. I, Listen, that's, listen, I love stats and love numbers, Chris, and that's that was the weirdest stat I've ever seen, one of the weirdest ones, I should say. And here's the thing, and they're seven and under Helton with that same stat, with 500 yards of offense and with a less than five point differential. So USC wins close games. It's just that listen, that defense, they know what they got to fix there. And then before we move on, shout out to Derek King at a great game, Miami, 31 41, 435 touchdowns, 105 yards. Justin Fields. Another great game, Keaton Slovis for USC. And that Zach Wilson we talked about at the top of the segment, Chris. You know, listen, 22 to 28, 360 yards and three touchdowns. And one of the things, Chris, is that I say we, we talk about we talk about Trevor Lawrence. We talk about Justin Fields. We talk about Trey Lance, who Trey Lance only played one game this year, by the way. He still might be a top five pick. That's the age of COVID. That's the age of 2020 college football and sports as a whole. But, but Chris, guys like Zach Wilson, Mac Jones, 
And you know what, Chris? I'll, I'll throw in I'll throw in two more names. I'll see how they rub up on you. Kyle Trask is definitely one. And another guy that I think people need to really look out for, and he plays he plays out west. He doesn't get the Shane Bouchelle from SMU. I think we, we gotta focus on the quarterback class. In that regard, it's just bigger than Lawrence, it's bigger than Lance, and it's bigger than Justin Fields. So so speaking of quarterbacks, Chris, let's transition to the NFL. There was a lot of good quarterback play, Chris. And there was a lot Ooh. of like what was that? It's like it's like it felt like it felt like back in the day when I used to play Madden back on Super Nintendo. And I used to have the the 49ers and and I used to have uh, Steve Young. And I always get blitzed by Hardy Nickerson. That's how bad the quarterback play. Like great quarterbacks didn't look so great. But but give me your thoughts, Chris, on what you saw in the NFL. You know, I uh, I got a glimmer of hope this week. I uh, I had this small, ancy weensy glimmer of of hope in in my little soul for the Jets. And I'm watching this game Monday night. I'm going to start Monday and just kind of work my way backwards. And I, I, I was watching this game. So number one, I didn't, I, I didn't even want to watch it. I didn't watch the first quarter. And I was, I started flipping through channels, and I was like, ah, fuck it, I'll watch it. I click on, and it's. It's 20 to 10 and uh, going into halftime. And I'm like, no way. The Jets are actually doing something like, holy shit, what is this? And I'm watching Joe Flacco out there just looking like the Joe Flacco of the Ravens era when, when, when he was, you know, catching Super Bowl victories. And I'm like, we, we might actually win a game. And I'm like, and I was like, and what's even better about this? If there is one team that I still to this day just hate, it is doing, and I'm like, how great would it be just to see all the salty New England fans get their ass beat literally by the worst team in the league, and then the the Jets just do what we do best, and it's like I almost feel like they saw that they were gonna win, and like King T'Challa came out and was like, no, no, we don't do that here, you know, and and well, then we just didn't bother showing up for the fourth quarter. And the Patriots put up 13 points with a, a, a game-ending field goal, and we lost. Um, so once again, this disappointment just consumes my soul, and I'm just like, awesome. I'm glad I'm glad I support this organization. And we lose. So now we're 0-9, and I, I'm on a couple forums and pages of the Jets on like Instagram and Facebook, and they think that drafting Trevor Lawrence is going to solve all of our problems. It won't. <laughs> all we're going to do to that poor kid is ruin his career and possibly injure him physically and if not psychologically. Um, hell, we got Sam Darnold, who, who you and I have discussed, is arguably the best quarterback of that draft class. Oh, yeah. And, and this fucking Looney Tune is out there talking about he sees ghosts. So there's it psychological happens. damage that being a Jet can do to you if you're a player. Uh, as a fan, you just become numb to it. But um, it's a very disappointing game. Uh, Flacco tried, but it's almost like he gave the game away at the end. 
Um, the other very satisfying game was the uh, New Orleans-Tampa game. Jeez. I enjoy. It warms my soul. Tom Brady is the ultimate. All I got to do is give him a bobby cut, and that man is the ultimate Karen. He is the, I want to talk to the manager of the referees. Like, him throwing temper tantrums on the sideline, it just, it warms my heart. But, again, I, I bring this up. Tom Brady threw three interceptions and not a single touchdown. So, take that for what it's worth and run with it. You can't win games when you're throwing touchdowns. Um, they had a total of eight yards rushing. Eight yards total. Let that sink in. Eight yards total. Uh, Ronnie uh, Ronald Jones ran for nine. And Blaine Gabbert ran for negative one. So let's use our, our basic math skills and just kind of run with that. Uh, on the air, the most receiving yards was 64, and that was with Mike Evans. So, again, let that, let that marinate for a little bit. I, I don't know what happened, but Tampa Bay essentially went into a a, a nuclear meltdown. And I, I, I kind of root for Tampa. I'm not going to lie. I, I like seeing them do well just because they're a Florida team and they're not the Dolphins. But watching Tom Brady throw a temper tantrum on the sideline, is it, it warms my heart. It really, truly does. Um, circling through the rest of the league, somehow the Cowboys almost squeaked a victory out of, uh, uh, out of, out of Pittsburgh. I, I don't know how that works, but somehow it did. Um, I, I, I kind of just sat there in, in, in disbelief and I'm like, um, how are the Cowboys winning at halftime going into halftime? It was 13 to nine, which granted isn't a huge score difference. And then. They scored, you know, an additional six points in the third, you know, and I was just like, uh, now it's 19 to nine. What the hell? And then, of course, Pittsburgh comes back in the fourth quarter with the uh, with the hammer being dropped. But, uh, you know, I mean, but Big Ben, he did his thing. He threw for 306 yards, three TDs. You can't ask for uh, uh, for much more than that. And then Garrett Gilbert, I mean, he threw for uh, 243 with one touchdown and one interception. But, you know, nonetheless, um, you know, C.D. Lamb definitely stole the show from Amari Cooper. Uh, four receptions, 71 yards, and a touchdown. So, you know, Lamb's still having some 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 value uh, despite Dak going down for the count and Dalton being down for the count. Um, you know, and then some other games that really, really – the, the one that really threw me for a loop and intrigued me the most was the, the Carolina-Kansas City game. And – I actually got to watch that game. Somehow it was televised here over all the shitty teams that we have surrounding here. Um, and the fact that Carolina almost pulled off a victory was was quite intriguing in itself. Of course, Christian McCaffrey made his one-game appearance, and he's back on the injury list, unfortunately. Um, but, you know, I Teddy Bridgewater, it's just, you know— he is such an underrated, and I think I talked about this in the beginning of the season, before the draft, after the draft, and and all of that. And, and even in fantasy, I think I've brought him up and I've brought Robbie Anderson up on how everybody bought them at, that has them at such a low price but got such a high yield out of them. And, you know, with, with, with that being said, 
you know, I, I think Carolina still has a lot of uh, a development they got to do. But if they can keep Christian McCaffrey healthy, between him and and DJ Moore and Robbie Anderson and uh, and and was it Curtis Samuel there? That, that's a dangerous offense. And then on top of that, they can they can plug in uh, uh, Davis in the backfield. You know, and and he, he's almost. I mean, he's not as. Uh, unique as Christian McCaffrey, but the son of a bitch can score on you without thinking twice. So I, I definitely, uh, I'm, I'm intrigued by Carolina and, and see them growing as a program. Um, I think the one game that I definitely called wrong was the, the Seattle Buffalo game. I expected Seattle to really go in there and do their thing, but Buffalo just, just manhandled them in it. They just and, and Buffalo exposed how weak their defense is at, at the end of the day. Um, they started off strong in the first quarter and they finished off strong uh, at, in the fourth. And I mean, as, as much as of a fan as I am a, a, of the Seahawks, I mean, I, I definitely I like their program. I like what they do. But, you know, Russell Wilson made a couple mistakes, chucking two interceptions. And, you know, those interceptions eventually turn into points. You know, then Josh Allen threw for 415 yards with three TDs and not a single turnover. That that speaks volume in itself. And then, you know, another guy that I, I preached on, and, and I remember people laughing at me, talking about this guy, Stephon Diggs. And I remember when we did the first episode of the season and we started talking about fantasy and the draft and all that, and I even remember people messaging me and laughing because I picked Stefan Diggs up so early. And those same people that laughed at me are now sending me like, hey, I'll trade you a second round pick or I'll trade you a third round pick for uh, uh, for Diggs or I'll, I'll do this and I'll do that. And it's like, huh, funny how that works there, sir. But see, seeing Diggs thrive in, in Buffalo has been good. But that game was not a fun one to watch because naturally I have – fantasy players on both teams and i'm kind of like a bandwagon seahawks fan just because of how cool russell wilson is as a person um but that was a hard one to watch um the vikings came out of their shell once again and and definitely i think they've identified themselves as a uh as a run first offense i mean again dalvin cook with 200 plus yards two touchdowns and then on top of that kirk cousins threw for three of them and keys to victory with kirk cousins he didn't throw a single interception. If he can score touchdowns and not throw picks, that man is dangerous. And I know, you know, you like to bust his balls a lot. I think they got off to a rough start. And then with Dalvin Cook going out and coming back, he, he, is, he is as healthy as a horse. Um, and then, you know, honestly, the one game that I really wanted to, to, to really give a shout out to was the Giants in, in Washington. Um, you know, Daniel Jones just he doesn't have much to work with. <laughs> Let's his offensive line is about as tough as uh, a piece of wet paper. And he really doesn't have a lot of, of talent surrounded him. I mean, granted he's got like Sterling Shepard and Dion Lewis and, you know, some of these guys, but at the same time, I, I think honestly his most dependable receiver is Evan Ingram. Um, you know, I mean, it was, it was Sterling's, you know, one of his first games back this season, but, you know, so, I mean, there's still a lot to be told on that. Deion Lewis, granted, you know, he, he's he's been around the league for a while, but I think he's kind of, uh, you know, on, on the, uh, the, the coattails of his career. But, you know, just, I mean, 
that was a tough game, I think, for for the Giants. And not that Washington is some super elite, stellar program, but they, they've got a fairly decent defense at the end of the day. I think that we can both agree on that. And and Washington is one of those teams with Riverboat Ron that they're you know, their backs are against the wall. They're 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 hell their team doesn't even have a name this season. And they're still out there playing hundred percent and giving it. And and you know, on top of that, you have Alex Smith making his kind of triumphant return. He I'm not gonna lie, he did shit the bed at the end of the game with those two back to back interceptions and that gruesome injury that Kyle Allen had. And that's the and a fun fact on that. It's the third player in that stadium in the same NFL week, in around the same like date and time frame that broke their ankle like that. The mm-hmm. second person to do it was Alex Smith, and I forget who the first person was, but that is kind of creepy, spooky, you know, conspiracy theory. Uh, maybe it's ancient aliens. Who knows? Um, <laughs> but I, I'm shaking my head. <laughs> Um, but you know, it's, it was a fun game to watch. It, it, it wasn't as bad as watching like a peewee game, but, um, the fact of the matter is, is how essentially the giants can control the division with, with two wins is mind blowing. Um, and I think honestly, the, the entire NFC East should stop playing, combine all of their healthy players onto one super team, and they might be able to beat another team outside of their division. Possibly. No guarantees, though. Um, but, you know, uh, other than that, I mean, it, you know, some of the usual suspects won, um, you know, of who you thought should have. Uh, you know, a very impressive win with Atlanta over over uh, Denver. That was a very hard-fought um, uh, win for them. And then, you know, even to the Dolphins. And I, I bust the Dolphins' balls a lot just because they're a rival in our division. But they're 5-3 and three right now, <laughs> and I'm pretty you know they're they're riding high, and on top of that, Tua, you know, uh, blossoming as a rookie. You know, twenty for twenty eight, two hundred and forty yards, two touchdowns. As a first year rookie, you can't ask for a, a better situation than that. So shout out to him in that. Uh, that's kind of my uh, my circle around the league. I know you wanted to touch on a couple games. Yeah, and, and uh, uh, we can start right there in Arizona, Chris. I I think remember when. Uh, Dolphins head coach uh, Brian Flores made the decision to pull Tua for for, for Fitzmagic. And I don't know if you recall, you know, like people were saying, oh, but, you know, at that point, the Dolphins were doing well. I mean, they were, you know, they were doing relatively well. And look, and, and this is why Brian Flores put in Tua, Chris. I think what you saw from Tua Listen, when you look at Tua, 20 or 28, 248 yards, two touchdowns, Chris. Tua's the kind of guy he reminds me. I don't know if it's just this draft class, Chris, but there's a lot of Joe Burrow in there, Chris, where he's a winner. And and at that position, you have to be a winner. I've always said, Chris, at that position, the quarter position, as you know, and as all of our listeners know, Chris, it's probably the most glorified and talked about position in all of sports. I don't know if you'll agree with that or not. 100%. You know, I mean, besides, I think the only, so being being a starting quarterback in the NFL is, I think, definitely the primo seat. Maybe, I think, being an ace pitcher 
for an elite baseball team. Yeah, Not, I can see that. Yeah, you know, but but again, an elite baseball team: the Yankees, the Red Sox, the Dodgers, uh, yeah. uh, the uh, Astros, the Braves. Being yeah. a, a starting pitcher for the Milwaukee Brewers isn't necessarily getting you getting you laid immediately. Um, now, if you I, you walk into any bar or club and you're like, "Hey, I'm the starting quarterback for uh, the Cincinnati Bengals," you know, or even the Jacksonville Jaguars, they're just gonna be like, "Oh my god, oh, it's so great!" It's it's a sexy, a <laughs> uh, 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 risque, you know, kind of position. Um, I, I don't even think basketball can can. It's like, hey, I'm the shooting guard for the the Brooklyn Nets, and they're like, "Didn't they used to be in Jersey?" And they're and then you're just like. Damn. All right. Uh, whatever. You know. So yeah. But be, being a starting quarterback, it definitely has like the appeal and the all eyes on me in the words of Tupac of uh, of it. Yeah, and I think to use basketball, Chris. I think being a Laker. I remember. Yeah. I mean, being a, being a Laker. If and I think that appeal, arguably the most, you know, that or the Boston Celtics. When you play for them, Chris, it means something different than when you play for the Milwaukee Bucks. Like, I, I'm not saying it, Chris, to, to be, I'm not trying to, you know, to down Milwaukee. Great city. But, yeah, yeah uh, well. Yeah, I've been there. Well, I'm not impressed. Well, well, we know what your travelocity rating was. But the, 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 the thing is, Chris, being a starting quarterback in the league, and Brian Flores made the tough decision to replace a very proven starting quarterback with a rookie, and it, and to me, Chris, it worked because this is what I liked about Miami. This is what they won nine straight games, Chris, when scoring twenty-one or more points in the first half. The last time they lost when they did that was twenty fourteen. Chris, they have an they have an offense like when you look at Preston Williams and Devontae Parker, Mike Gesicki, like, and then Chris. Here's the scary part: they have a lot of picks, thanks to that. Yeah, thanks to the to, to Bill O'Brien, basically, they have a lot of draft picks. Chris, a lot of first they have a first round pick this year, and they they have they have two this year, Chris. And there's talent out there, and that's what makes the Miami Dolphins scary and make this division scarier, because it's funny how the future changed of this division within the last three to five years. it, it just changed tectonically. It just changed. And what you saw in this game was the way the quarter position was played. Listen, Kyler Murray didn't slouch either, Chris. 21-26, Chris. 283 yards and three touchdowns. He didn't slack either. The key to this game, Chris, was simply boiled down to Miami's defense played very well. Brian Flores has that defense playing well, and they're playing consistent. And I think and it's important for a deep, and I, and I say this, for a coach, for the team like the Miami Dolphins, who has a defensive coach, look at the numbers the quarterbacks playing, and look at Sean McDermott. Look at that division, Chris, where we think defensive, you know, minded coaches they're going to pound the ball because you see it in Mike Zimmer in Minnesota, which is fine, Chris. Because listen, Dalvin Cook is going off. That works. That works beautifully. But it's amazing, Chris, to me that defensive minded coach coaches are letting these dudes rip it. Because they, listen, there's no, listen, we hand the ball off and, no, give them the playbook. I've always believed, Chris, when you watch the tape and you know they're talented, listen, two are going to struggle because, listen, and I'm going to talk about another quarterback who struggles with this. Is, you know, he may struggle with zone defenses. He may struggle with gap, you know, with assignments, Chris. 
but he's a rookie still. We still got to remember that. So, like, his first game when he stepped on the field, Chris, didn't set the world on fire. Second game, you know, full week preparing, Chris, look how great he played. Yeah. And that and that Arizona defense is no slouch. It's no slouch at all. Because I argue that the upside of Arizona is just as great because of the drafting Isaiah Thomas, who I contend was the best player on the board at that position. They could have easily went receiver. They could have went offense, Chris. But they went defense because they recognized we need us because Chandler Jones is getting older and we're not going to keep paying this money. Go get a guy who can play all the positions. They got an Isaiah, you know, excuse me, an Isaiah Simmons. And speaking of all around performances, I want to go to Baltimore before I go to before I go to Buffalo. Chris, what I saw in that Baltimore game, I can't. This is what I've learned, Chris. And, and this may be a, a very unpopular opinion, but I'll say I just don't think the Ravens are a top-five team. I, I, I don't. Because and here's why, Chris. And, and it's two reasons. Lamar Jackson, we know he's talented, Chris. But here's the thing. That was the first game they've won at half, you know, when they're since trailing at halftime since 2018. They were 0-10 when they trailed at halftime. Essentially, Chris, they were front runners. This was horse racing, Chris. They had to come out the gate. And basically, not screwed up at the turn. <laughs> yeah, essentially, yeah, no, they, were, they, they they don't they don't play. It's it's uh, it's like another good equivalent, I guess, if we're bouncing around sports. It's like mixed martial arts. Baltimore is one of those teams. If they don't get caught with a takedown, they can stay and and bang standing up. They can't fight well off their back. You you take them to the ground. You mount them. You you, you start getting them into a into a precarious or compromising position that you're right. They, they just don't win. Uh, this, this, the first, they, they came back off their back. They threw the triangle choke and got the submission on, on, on Indy. Um, so, I mean, hats off to them, but yeah, I, I, I don't think that they're necessarily as, as strong as, as we may le- be led to believe. Granted they're six and two, that does speak volumes. Yeah. But at the same time, is it is it a, a, I, I use this term a lot. Is it by circumstance? Is it the schedule that they're playing? You know, like like we can look at our fantasy league, for example. There's a lot of people that are in decent positions right now based on just having an incredibly easy schedule, you know, that that have less losses than, than some. And it, it's it's based on circumstance. If they had to play tough people all season, you know, their their record may not be as well as they as they are right now. And I think that may be uh, the, the case in Baltimore is that, I mean, granted, they do play in a tougher division. They've got good, a solid division. But outside of that, I think they've just, they've neither A, kind of been in the right place at the right time, or B, uh, you know, it's just, things have just kind of fallen into their favor. Yeah, and and I think the thing is, Chris, and I want to talk about Lamar Jackson and zone defense, and and I can't take credit for talking about it. Somebody on Twitter, somebody who I follow, Rachel Van Oranje, she told you know about you know zone defense, and I literally spent you know I spent that yesterday looking over you know zone defenses, and you know because I know deep you know no defenses obviously, but I've always been more offensively oriented, if you can tell. If those who've been listening to the podcast for a long time, you know, I talk about quarterbacks a lot. I really don't talk about defense a lot. But, Chris, the Indianapolis Colts, the way they play defense, Chris, is amazing. Like, if you... They're vicious. They're a vicious 
yeah. aggressive defense. And if you look at Matt Eberflus, who deserves a lot of credit, even when they played when they played Kansas City, they kind of pushed Kansas City a little. But Mahomes is going to be Mahomes. But Lamar Jackson simply can't read zone defenses. And Chris, what's scary is Chris is that I this may sound weird, but I think what's holding back Baltimore is Lamar Jackson. And that's scary, Chris, because this man was the MVP of the league last year. And and I don't want to demean that whatsoever, Chris, but here's the reality. If you can't read zone defenses, Chris, it's one thing defensive coordinators know. The good ones know. It's why I gave a lot of credit to, you know, Greg Williams, which I'll get to in a minute. But the reality, of Chris, is that Lamar can simply not play zone. What is basically, Chris, what is the Colts basically trying to tell him to do? We dare you to beat us with your arm when you play zone, Chris. Yeah. They're saying, we know that you can't beat us with your arm. If that was Patrick Mahomes back there, Chris, <laughs> he'd laugh at that zone defense. Yeah. I mean, if it was literally only a handful of guys in the league can can really, really master a zone defense. Lamar Jackson just isn't there. Now, does that take away from his talents? Absolutely not, Chris. But the reality is, when you look at why certain quarterbacks don't succeed, Chris, you can have all the talent in the world, Chris. It's just like in music. Like all those one-hit wonders, like the Baja men. They had who let the dogs out, Chris, and we didn't get nothing else after that. We didn't get who let the cats out, who let the marmot sets out. We got nothing else after that. Why? Because here's my theory in life, Chris. Talent can get you into any door in this in any industry. I don't know if you agree with this. Talent can get you any door in this industry, Chris, but hard work, a willingness to learn, and just and having a passion for it keeps you in that door. And a willingness to adapt. Adaptability. I'm sorry, but I've yeah. So here's the problem, Chris. I don't Lamar Jackson has to adapt. He can question play calling because he said in a piece that defenses were calling the plays, Chris. Well, that's that's on Greg Roman. You know, you got to get Lamar in there and you got to push the ball. And that's what you saw in that Patriots-Jets game. Because, Chris, notice that you really didn't see Cam push the ball. Nope. Like, he was the better quarter. Like, no disrespect. If, if, if New England pushes the ball, Chris, that game wouldn't have been a three-point win. That game could have been over round about toward five, six minutes left in the fourth quarter. But what you saw, Chris, was in that game, Greg Williams knows defense. Greg Williams knows defense, Chris. That's what it boiled down to. And here's the reality, Chris. When I saw the Jets, I said that was the best game the Jets played all year long. 100%. All year, all year long. I said, just like the Cowboys, that was the best game I've seen them play. And, Chris, they, it wasn't against scrubs. but Because this is what I say about New England. New England, Chris, and I may not be popular for saying this, but New England, Chris, is looking on the downslope. Like, you didn't hear it from me, Chris, because what I saw, and this is not about, oh, they played the Jets. No, this is about Cam Newton. When he gets blitz, what, he, what, does, what does Greg Williams love to do? Blitz. So... When people, when I saw double-digit spreads, Chris, I said, "Listen, I'm not expecting, you know, the Jets are going to make it a game because you know why? Because Greg Williams is going to make Cam Newton throw with ten guys in his face, and he simply yeah. can't do that. 
His escapability is not what it used to be, Chris. Like, Cam can run up the middle, but you can't run up the middle when there's a linebacker waving at your face. So <laughs> you can't do it. And what you saw this weekend, Chris, was defense work, just like in Seattle. Seattle's defense, Chris, this is a great stat. I love numbers. I love this stat. Well, the Seattle may not love this stat. Chris, in the first eight games of this season, and this is going back to the Super Bowl era, Chris, the Seattle Seahawks have allowed 2,897 passing yards. That's the most by any team in the first eight games in the Super Bowl era, Chris. What you learned about Seattle is that, think about this, Chris. You know what quarterbacks give them fits? Mobile quarterbacks. Think about it. Kyler Murray exposed, was he first exposed that Seattle defense because there's nobody on that second level, Chris, in that linebacking, they can't get to him. They don't, listen, you know, listen, I put it this way, Bobby Wagner ain't what Bobby Wagner used to be. All right, let's just... You know, like that song, and she ain't what she used to be. He ain't what he used to be. And also, Chris, Buffalo exposed Seattle's defense. Josh Allen just, Josh Allen was able to just run just like into the end zone. That's how clean it was. No defenders near him. And at some point, if you're Seattle, that defense, listen, Russell Wilson, He's thrown three interceptions in the red zone this season, Chris. He's thrown three such in the previous two seasons combined. And, Chris, Russell Wilson is pressing. Chris, when you know that you have to put that team on your back, Russell Wilson knows, Chris, I got to score at least 30 points. Minimum, Chris. Minimum. To keep my team in the game because he knows how abort this defense is. He knows it. Pete Carroll knows it. The Seattle knows it. Listen, you go a little up north, people in Alaska know it. People, people in Canada know how bad that defense is. So Russell Wilson has to put that team on his back. And when you press, Chris, you get turnovers, especially in the red zone. Especially in the red zone. Turnovers aren't great, Chris. But when they're in the red zone and scoring opportunities, Chris, it's not that great. It hinders your team. And I defend, I defend Russell Wilson like, look, who else on that? You know, listen, he's got DK Metcalf, all the, the best receiver he's had maybe since, what, maybe Doug Baldwin maybe? No, absolutely. Like, maybe. So he's pressing. And the reality, Chris, is that when you look at Buffalo, Buffalo, listen, Buffalo looked pretty bad too. Buffalo is allowed – 25, you know, or more points in, in five games this season. They only did that once last year. So let's make it clear, Chris, while it looked great for one side, Chris, it, it, it didn't necessarily look great for the other either. So, you know, speaking of things looking great, I'm going to wrap up the segment before we transition to fantasy, Chris. It is that I want to talk about the Pittsburgh Steelers really quickly. We talk about, Chris, you are what your record says you are, Chris. I don't think that applies to the, to the Pittsburgh Steelers here, Chris, because if you're on an undefeated team, Chris, you expect a little bit more dominance. Either eight games, Chris, they only have, like, what, two double-digit wins? So I, I, I'm, I'm not understanding what people say, 
oh, well, Big Ben should be MVP candidate. I say absolutely not. And listen, it is nothing personal, Chris, but he shouldn't be an MVP candidate. I said this defense has hangs on by that defense. And even Garrett Gilbert, Chris, Garrett Gilbert almost won a game for the Dallas Cowboys against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Pittsburgh has always played down to the competition. And by the way, they played Cincinnati, Chris. I'm going to pull a lead Corso. I'm going to pull a triple not so fast on those who think that game's in the bag for Pittsburgh. The Cleveland, Cincinnati's going to compete. I think right now the spread's like at seven, seven and a half. But, you know, I don't know what you're going to do for fantasy. I don't want to steal, I don't want to steal your almighty thunder. But if I were, listen, if I were a Pittsburgh fan, listen, that Joe Burrow kid, I wrote an article this week with my midseason, you know, midseason awards. I'll tell you right now, Joe Burrow's the rookie of the year. And I explain why. But speaking of explaining, Chris, you know, fantasy, a lot of things going on. You know, you're you're also not only a co-host of this show, but you're also a commissioner. So you balance a lot of hats around here. Yeah. <laughs> so you, you balance just as many hats as I do. My people say, well, Darren, what do you do? Oh, you edit it. Da, da, da. But Chris, he is much more important. He's a commissioner of a league. I'm just a guy who I, I just edit and, rec- you know, I just edit and. You know, no, you're the commissioner, Chris. That's a tough job. I wouldn't want your job. Yeah, but, it's, a, uh, <laughs> it's it's not always fun, but you know, someone's got to do it. Um, yeah. I'm I'm fair, but I'm kind. Yeah. <laughs> but you see how that to- before we jump out of uh, uh, on the fantasy though, I want to I want to circle back to the Seahawks on something. Uh huh. And it involved Chris Carson. Did you see the exchange that he had on Instagram with a fan? I I didn't get a chance to look at that. So I'm going to read the conversation. Uh, Viewer discretion is advised. Or whatever the warning should be. So a, a fan goes into Chris Carson's DMs and writes, Yo, pussy, tape your foot up and go fucking in. You're selling my fantasy team right now. Fuck you, bro. Now, Chris Carson writes back, ha ha, laughing faces. Fuck your fantasy team. Come make me play. Giant exclamation points. Fan writes, what's the addy? You're asking for the address. Chris Carson literally writes his address and says, yo, your ass better pull up too. <laughs> So, number one, I think we found out that Chris Carson does not give one iota about fantasy football at all. He does not give a shit. Um, We also found out that he will willingly throw his address out and say, come get the smoke. And and then to tell him you better show up. I hope next week I can circle back and see if I can get an updated report on if the fan did come. More importantly, I would be more intrigued with a conversation between him and his a- Chris Carson and his agent about enticing a fan to come fight him at his house. That that in itself, I mean, <laughs> it takes some balls, man. That takes some giant brass balls to uh, to say that. But um, that that was just just mind boggling at at. <laughs> It, it, it is, Chris, but 
you know, I think the 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 worst fan exchange I think you know was the malice at the palace, oh. and and I and this I saw that game live because I was flipping through and I'm like, oh, it's you know it's the Pacers and the Pistons. You don't think nothing of it. And I remember, I believe Ben Walsh at the free throw line, if I'm not mistaken. And then next thing you know, words were exchanged. The game was over, essentially. And then, you know, fight starts to happen. And then as the melee goes, I saw Jermaine O'Neal out of the frame, Chris, hit a fan right in the jaw. I'm like, I can tell that was Jermaine O'Neal because I saw the number seven. I'm like, oh, that's Jermaine O'Neal. And he just whopped the guy. And I'm thinking, Chris, that's the worst thing that could happen to a fan. Yes. But, you know, w- once again, Chris, as we've, you know, we've learned, you know, this episode, we can be wrong about a lot of things. And I was wrong, Chris, because Ron Artest was sitting, he was laying on the scores table. And he threw, I think the fans threw the beer on Ron Artest. And Chris, this dude climbed, you would have thought he was trying to get to the top of, of Empire State Building, Chris. He, he fought the fan. And listen, I'm not defending the violence, Chris, but I just want to say this. There's always a finite line between the fan and athlete interaction. I don't condone, like, listen, what Chris Carson did, Chris, Chris Carson got tired. He doesn't care about fantasy. And listen, that's why he did what he did. He may, like you say, his agent may have a talking about, you know, personal relationships, you know, about, you know, fan, you know, fan, you know, he may have that, you know, that little seminar. But it's like Chris, you gotta shut your ass up and not say these things. Right. It's like, listen, I get it. Like his agent's telling him, listen, you're not wrong, but you're in the position of power. Yeah. It's just like it's just, just like when Mike people you try to provoke Mike Tyson because they knew if Mike Tyson hit, you could sue Mike Tyson. But well, guess what happened when Mike Tyson stopped being a boxer, Chris? Notice a lot of people stopped provoking Mike Tyson. Exactly. Like <laughs> it's like listen, or like any of the MMA guys like Chuck Liddell. T-R-T. Like, listen, when they were fighting, oh, yeah, I'll kick your All of a sudden, Chris, they retire. It kind of goes away because guess what? They got their money and they don't care. Yeah. Now their money their money can be used to get lawyers to get off. The, like, I, and I tell people, I mean to cut, go ahead. No, no, the, the, the thing with, with where a lot of people forget is that athletes are people just as yeah, well. They're, they're human beings first. I think they, that's they might be essentially circus performers at the end of the day. And they're literally granted. They are being paid to entertain us at the end of the day. That's what they're doing. But at the same time, it's like if you walk up to a dog and you, you shake a stick at it, you tease it, you go to, to grab a bone or whatever you keep fucking with this dog the dog's going to eventually bite you now. And then you're going to be like that goddamn dog. It bit me and blah, blah, blah. But you know what? You push the dog to bite you and circling back to human psychology, whether they're an athlete or, or, or just a guy at my, in a job like me or a job like you or, or, or a bartender or whoever, you can only push someone so far that they'll eventually snap back. And then when they do, you can't get mad about it. it yeah. It's like if it, like, like with the, the fan throwing the beer on on homeboy at the at the basketball, he throws a beer on him and then he gets mad. He gets punched in the face. Yeah. Like actions have consequences. If you stick a knife in a light socket 
and you get the shit shocked out of you. You have you can't blame the electric company. You can't blame the person that built your house. The only person to blame is your stupid ass for provoking a reaction off of an action. You did something to cause this. And you have no one to blame but yourself. But that's all a personal accountability we can go on and on about. We've yeah. done. But I just I saw that on, on social media. And the fact that he said your ass better show up is just like the fucking the cherry on the cake. I'm hoping yeah. next week that I will have uh, an update on this to see if, if uh, said homeboy did roll up on Chris Carson. So we'll yeah. see what happens. And, but and, uh, and they say you can't get award winning journalism here. Exactly. Out of me, of all people. And, and to wrap up, like simply this, for every action, it's Newton's third law of, of motion. For every action, there's an equal opposite reaction. That's a life axiom people need to take into consideration. Speaking of that same thing, Chris, I think a lot of reactions with fantasy, like, like, listen, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna say my fantasy state because I, I am, you know, I'm not gonna do that. But a lot of people right now, they're still in limbo, Chris. And they're, like I say, they're still in it. But a lot of things have to happen. Or better yet, in terms of trades, or quite frankly, if their other, other opponent has to just, you know, mail it in. But so here we are, Chris. We're past the midway point, Chris. Give us your week, your week 10, Chris. Give us your fantasy start in seven. So, all right. We've got we've got problems in some leagues. Some people are good to go. Some people are not. Um, there, there is a, a definitive uh, point. I think that in, in everybody's league where you got to start making choices. So one of my leagues, like I talked about last week, I, I sold my team off for a bunch of draft picks. And ironically enough, I, I sold my team for multiple second, third and fourth round picks. I still won last week in that league with a bunch of scrubs, ironically. <laughs> so that kind of threw me for a loop because I'm like, well, shit, I have all these draft picks and I actually won. Could I keep winning? So then I'm like, you know, do I start purposely sitting people, leaving people out of my roster on the bench? What what do I do? You know, um, but, you know, and then in other leagues like we were talking about, you know, um, you got to be at the right place at the right time. You got to start figuring. Do you tank it for an early pick? Do you try to hold out for the uh, uh, for the long run into the playoffs? This is where you start making those moves. Uh, you know, like in our league, uh, our our trade deadline is in 13 days, um, so there's still some time. I try to do mine a little bit later uh, than than usual, and then also courtesy of COVID, I added an extra week on it just because of the the shit show that COVID has caused the the league and the NFL in general. Um, you know, we, we had some hope. Christian McCaffrey came back, and just as fast as he came, it's just as fast as he went. He's already listed for doubtful for next week um, with a shoulder issue. So that that hurt my little heart a little bit because he definitely did win me big time last week. But um, we'll carry on from there. So uh, for week 10, for your startups and sit-ems, um, you know, we'll start a quarterback like normal and then just work our way down. So naturally, your your usual suspects are Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson's, the Sean Watsons, uh, Kyler Murray's, uh, Josh Allen's. Some of your strong starters. So we talked about him actually a little bit ago. Is uh, Lamar Jackson. So Lamar Jackson, they're they're going to New England, and uh, the Patriots had a hard time containing Joe Flacco. They they just I mean giving up big plays all over the place, and I. 
I, I think it's safe to say that the Ravens might not be as good as, as they're rated, but I think they're definitely better than the Jets. And if the Jets could shred a defense, I expect Lamar Jackson to have a, a – he's been in a slump, but I expect this week to him, for him to have a huge week. Um, same situation with Drew Brees uh, playing the 49ers. Um, they're playing against a second and third string 49ers pass defense. And I expect him to be just as vicious as Aaron Rodgers was last week. So if you're a 49ers fan, batting down the hatches, it's going to be a rough week again for you. Uh, similar situation with Jared Goff and the Rams uh, going against Seattle. Um, I expect him to have a very high pass volume. So if you're in a PPR league, that equals a lot of points for you. Um, and, you know, they Seattle just has to play defense. Otherwise, Jared Goff is going to have one hell of a day. Um, this one, the next one's going to be a little bit tricky. Um, so the Miami Dolphins play good at home, but Justin Herbert from the Chargers is a very aggressive player. Aggressive players get a lot of yardage, and they make a lot of passes. So um, even though that Miami does play, I got him kind of on the fringe as a strong starter, but I, I, I do want to make mention of him, um, and I do expect him to have a, a very aggressive uh, uh, game against Miami. I think Tom Brady is going to come back and play very, very hard against Carolina. Um, I think the biggest uh, differential in this game um, is going to be how comfortable Tom Brady is with the play action. Um, I think he has to get the running game more involved. We talked about that uh, earlier in the segment, that they had a total of eight rushing yards. You cannot use the play action with eight rushing yards. It just it it doesn't exist. It, it's it's a fond memory, and I don't think uh, uh, it it's going to be a, a pretty time for Carolina. And also, when Tom Brady has like those real significant losses, his inner Karen gets channeled, and he, he usually does some good things. And I think also with Carolina, just having that that feeling of defeat again. You know, their star player comes back and just shreds a defense to the point where they almost beat arguably the best team in the NFL. And they lost by a field goal, and now he's back on the bench with a hurt shoulder. So I think that will play into the game. So I think Brady will have a, a very strong game. Another fringe, make sure to check your rosters, is Big Ben. So he's on the COVID protocol right now. If he's cleared the play, um, I bet you two touchdowns and 250 yards will be the floor. The floor. So just let that let that uh, uh, sink in. For your DFS bargains uh, for DraftKings and FanDuel, Tua Tagalova for the Dolphins going against the Chargers. And then Baker Mayfield playing against Houston. Both of these guys, but again, with, with Baker, make sure that he's off COVID protocols and he's cleared the play. Um, so that one might be a Sunday or an early Sunday morning buy for you, um, depending on your league, how it's set up. I definitely think Tua is he's not a lot of money right now. So buy him, keep him. He might actually do some damage for you. Some streamers that if you're in a jam and you think you might uh, uh, need needs a quarterback to plug in, maybe yours is on a bye week, or you might be in a situation where you have an injury or a COVID-related incident. Uh, Derek Carr going against Denver, Drew Locke going against the, uh, the Raiders, and then Nick Foles going against the Vikings. Nick Foles, I think, is the best bet out of all of them, just out of the fact that Nick Foles is Nick Foles. He can play well when he when he has the capability. And then also Minnesota's defense is still very questionable at most. Uh, some of your weaker starters uh, on the opposite side. So if you have Joe Burrow, definitely sit him against Pittsburgh. Even if Big Ben doesn't play, um, Pittsburgh's defense is what keeps him in a lot of games. 
Um, so I, I don't think Joe Burrow is going to sit too well with him. Uh, same thing with Carson Wentz. If the New York Giants play as good as they did against Washington, I expect Carson Wentz to have a very rough game. Um, it's going to be a grind. It's going to be a very grindy game, but I definitely don't I don't see him doing well. I see the New York Giants uh, defense actually controlling the majority of that game. Uh, Kirk Cousins uh, going to Chicago. Uh, we already know how that turns out. Chicago, just their defense is just, it, damn, it's good. It's scary. Um, Ryan Tannehill um, is, is as high as I've been on him this season. They're, they're, they're playing Indianapolis. And the Colts, contain, we talked about this, they contained Lamar Jackson, one, arguably, I think, the most athletic quarterback in the NFL currently. He might not make, but I, I'm speaking on raw physicality, athletics, his, his speed, his agility, his arm strength, blah, 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 blah. And the Colts bottled him up and, and it was like the, the genie from Aladdin. He just, they, they rubbed the lamp and put his ass right back in there. Um, and I expect they're probably going to do the same against a lesser mobile Ryan Tannehill. So I think he's going to have a very underwhelming night. Um, on the flip side, with the the Patriots and or excuse me, the the Bucks and Panthers game, Tampa's defense again, arguably one of the best ones in the league. Um, I expect Teddy Bridgewater to have a very quiet game. Um, Tampa's blitz programs and blitz schemes. Um, number one, uh, uh, hat, hats off to Todd Bowles. I mean, he's got that defense under lock and key. And, uh, you know, I, I think even as good as Teddy Bridgewater played against Kansas City last week, I think Tampa's secondary is going to be a huge problem for Teddy. And on top of that, that the blitz packages they call, they're going to have a lot of people in his face very early in the game. Um, and then also, I think uh, Matthew Stafford is, number one, it depends on how he plays because, number one, he has no Kenny Galladay with a hip injury. Stafford's on concussion, so we don't even know if he's going to play or not. Um, but if he does, expect him to have a not-so-hot game against Washington. I think they're, again, Riverboat Ron. He's 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 has everything to prove and uh, and and nothing to lose at, at this point in the season. Some of your deeper traps, um, you know, uh, th- these are at your own risk. This can go really good or really bad for you. Uh, Jake Luton from Jacksonville going against Green Bay. Green Bay's defense is still kind of suspect, but I don't expect the Jaguars to do too hot. He's on my, you know, he might get you out of a jam list, but use your own discretion. Cam Newton going to Baltimore. Uh, I think Cam will have a a good game, but eh, again, if you're in a jam, hopefully you could get better. And then same thing with Daniel Jones. Uh, I think that he, uh, that's going to go really, really good for you against a, a Philly defense, or it's going to go really, really bad for you. So if you can find better, do better. If not, you know, may God have mercy upon your soul. Uh, going through running backs, uh, you know, your typicals, your Alvin Kamara's, your Dalvin Cooks, Aaron Jones, uh, Derek Henry's, Josh Jacobs, Kareem Hunt. If you don't know him, stop it while you're ahead. Uh, we spoke back on him. If he returns to play, Chris Carson. <laughs> I got it. I made sure his ass was front and center on this one. Uh, he definitely should return. It's more than likely um, that he should return off foot injury. Um, so Seattle needs him bad. I think that's um, that that shows. I, I think we can just leave it at that. So I expect him coming back. The Rams also don't have the best run defense, so expect Chris Carson if he comes back. Um, he's probably going to do good and write a little love note to his fans saying, all right, bitch, I just wanted you some points. 
What's up? Uh, Antonio Gibson from Washington playing Detroit. Um, I definitely think that even splitting, I, I even got uh, JD McKissick on there, um, you know, because of the TD potential. Um, I think if you're playing in a PPR league, either one of these guys are going to be doing a lot of work for you. On the flip side of that game, DeAndre Swift, literally by the numbers, um, I think you're going to see a volume. It also depends on Stafford. If Stafford's out, I think they're going to lean a little bit more on the ground than, than the aviation attack. So, And I expect DeAndre Swift's numbers just to come back exponentially um, with with a, a very high floor uh, for for points. Uh, same thing with the Bills for both Zach Moss and Devin Singletary. Uh, I think they're going to run a little bit more than this week than normal um, against the, the Arizona defense, which has had a hard time containing runs. And then also both of these guys catch balls in the backfield, so it's definitely going to be a PPR league uh, uh, field day for you. Um, Philip Lindsay from the uh, from the Bronx going against the Raiders. I think that uh, the backfield is going to really start waking up, and especially with uh, the situation with Melvin Gordon, I think there's only room for improvement with Lindsay. And then Wayne Gallum from the Giants playing Philadelphia. Um, I don't think that he's going to get you big yardage, but if they can get near the goal line, I definitely can see him punching it in for you, and especially if Devontae Freeman goes out because he's still got some type of ankle issue that uh, has is, has been haunting him. Your DFS bargains, I haven't talked about this guy in a while, so for DraftKings and FanDuel, uh, Duke Johnson from Houston Texans, he has he used to be my, I would equivalent Duke Johnson to my pitching wedge in my golf bag. Uh, my pitching wedge is my most comfortable club that I know no matter what will get me out of a bad situation. And for the past two seasons, Duke Johnson was my pitching wedge. Uh, Ladarius can attest to it uh, for sure for one year. Uh, that little man caused him a lot of problems in, in a lot of games. And uh, this season, he hasn't done so hot, but I think, uh, you know, we're, we're going to see what happens. It also sets up, uh, you know, because David Johnson more than likely is just going to be completely out because of the concussion protocol. Um, so we, we do have that situation. Um, so more to come on that. Then Leonard Fournette, um, you know, Ronald Jones, he's starting to have some issues. I think Fournette is going to definitely get a lot of pickups on it. Both of these guys, statistically, DraftKings and FanDuel, you can buy them for super cheap. So uh, watch out on that. So your weaker running backs, um, Mike Davis uh, with Christian McCaffrey going out. Uh, I mean, he's definitely going to get the rock again for the majority of the carries. And also, he's a pretty good backfield receiver. However, Tampa defends incredibly well on the run and on backfield receiving. So I think uh, his use is going to be very limited. Uh, literally any Rams running back you have against Seattle, I think that they're not going to do too well. Even though that uh, I talked a lot of shit on Seattle's defense, they are good at stopping the run. Uh, they can't they can't defend a pass worth anything, but the run they've got pretty good uh, situation on that. Um, on the uh, you know another West Coast team, uh, the Chargers. Any running back you have for them. Uh, going against Miami's defense. For some reason at home, they play incredibly well. Um, you know, and then especially you have uh, Justin Jackson with a knee injury that more than likely may not play. Uh, I think that's going to be a situation that um, uh, is not going to be healthy. Uh, and then literally any New England Patriots running back you have against Baltimore, um, it's not going to be a good situation. Even with Rex Burkhead and, and the little muddy might that he is, um, I don't think that they're going to match against Baltimore's defense. Baltimore's got a pretty solid run defense. Um, so I kind of covered a lot of bases on there just on the fact of just don't start entire teams. 
Um, wide receivers, same situation. Your usual suspects, D-Hop, DJ Metcalf, Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, uh, A.J. Brown, Stephon Diggs, Adam Thielen, blah, 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 blah. You should know these facts. Uh, if you don't by now, just I don't know why you're listening to me at this point in your life. Uh, some stronger starts. Uh, Juju Smith and Deontay Johnson from Pittsburgh going against Cincinnati. I think that is going to be an outright shit show. Um, specifically, if uh, Big Ben does play, I think he's definitely going to, uh, you know, have some have a field day with them. Uh, Devontae Parker, I haven't talked about him in a few weeks either. I expect him to have a pretty solid game against the Charger secondary that was elite last season. That is not so elite uh, this season. And also, I'm starting to notice a little bromance between him and uh, uh, Tua. You know, they're, they're really starting to kind of flourish on each other. So maybe one can help the other and the other can help the one. And uh, we could definitely see some uh, some good moves on that. Uh, Mike Williams, uh, on the flip side, Mike Williams from the Chargers, I think, um, you know, he, he can play the role of uh, uh, of Christian Kirk making those big plays and keep people away from Keenan Allen, which will open Keenan Allen up and, uh, uh, you know, do his thing. Uh, Marquise Brown from the Ravens. Uh, I think Hollywood is just overdue for a long shot TD. Uh, and then I think Jarvis Landry should have a big game against uh, Houston. Houston's, uh, excuse me, yeah, Houston's secondary just, eh, it's sketch at most. So, you know, kind of, you know, be at your own risk right there. Um, so we'll, we'll see what happens with that. And then honestly, I think Antonio Brown is going to uh, have a, a big week this week against Carolina. It's going to be almost a, a not, not much so much as a guaranteed win. But I definitely think that AB is going to get his looks. Uh, you know, Godwin still got this hand issue with a broken finger, and I think all the attention is going to be on Chris Godwin and, and Gronkowski, and Antonio Brown will just be sitting there on his little island uh, looking around. Uh, and I think uh, Nelson Aguilar from the Raiders going against Denver. Uh, all former Eagles, uh, they just they fly around and make big plays, and uh, you know, and especially with with uh, Henry Ruggs, you know. Kind of making not so much of an impact for for Derek Carr. I think Algalar will uh, will help them out for that. Your DFS bargains, you should be able to buy cheap and keep cheap. Uh, Brandon Cooks from Houston going to Cleveland. Jerry Judy from the Bronx going to Vegas. And Chase Claypool from uh, Pittsburgh. You know, I, I definitely think all those guys are going to have some great, great setups. Some of your weaker setups that you want to steer away from. Um, Arvin Jones Jr. going to Washington. Um, he's going to get all the attention, especially with Kenny Galladay with the uh, the hip issue. He's going to be the man on the uh, on the island. Uh, Emmanuel Sanders uh, from the Saints, I think, with, uh, with with Michael Thomas back, I definitely think that uh, this is going to be a, uh, a a situation. And the revenge games tend not to work too well. Uh, Corey Davis, I think, is going to have a, a a bad week this week. He completely goose egged last week. And uh, he's just got a tough matchup against the uh, the, the Colts and their very aggressive defense. Um, Sterling Shepard, I don't think, is going to you know come back as strong. The Eagles, I think, are going to be a little bit more equipped to pressure Daniel Jones, but I don't, and which is going to make him cough with the ball fast. Normally, when he coughs fast, it goes to Darius Slayton. Uh, same situation with AJ Green and T Higgins from the Bengals. The Steelers will they, they'll definitely make a, a, a containment procedure, like they're trying to uh, keep the COVID under control. Um, any honestly, uh, the majority of the Colts' offense going against Tennessee. Tennessee's defense is really good at blocking the pass, so keep a watch out for that. Um, and then last but not least, for tight ends, your your go tos, your Darren uh, Darren Wallers, T.J. Hawkinson, Mark Andrews. Uh, Dallas Coder, Evan Ingram, Rob Gronkowski. Your stronger starts. Um, 
Evan Ebron from uh, Pittsburgh going against Cincinnati. He's definitely getting a lot of the love on the short pass, and also the Bengals are just absolutely terrible at guarding tight ends. So watch out for that. Uh, Noah Fant from the Bronx going against the Raiders. Um, I, I definitely see him having a huge game. Same situation with the Raiders. They have a hard time defending tight ends. I think I've already proven that theory right more on more than one occasion. Uh, Jordan Reed, um, I think he'll definitely be coming into this game a lot healthier. And now with, uh, with my boy Kittle just completely done for the season, essentially. Uh, and then also he's just a big body target for Nick Mullins and a jam with a Seattle or excuse me, with a new Orleans defense that a doesn't cover tight ends. Well, and B is going to be blitzing the ever loving hell out of Mullins. So good luck to you. Uh, Jimmy Graham, I think is going to be another strong starter, uh, going against the, uh, the Vikings he's red hot. And again, the Vikings have a, a very rough time covering tight ends, uh, pretty much like they do receivers or really honestly, anybody, uh, DFS bargains. Uh, if you need to catch somebody up for cheap on DraftKings or FanDuel, uh, Austin Hooper slated the return from his appendicitis this week. And especially with uh, Jarvis Landry completely, or excuse me, with OBJ completely out of the picture. Um, and then Jarvis Landry and Rashad Higgins getting a lot of looks. He's going to be that security blanket for Baker or their backup quarterback, who honestly, I couldn't even tell you it is at this point. Uh, some of your weaker starts that you might want to stay away from. Logan Thomas going to, from Washington going to Detroit. Um, uh, with Alex Smith kind of taking the lead, I think that changes the pecking order of receivers. And it definitely doesn't favor Thomas. Uh, Alex Smith just isn't big on throwing the tight ends. Um, any Texans uh, tight end you have going against going to Cleveland? Um, Cleveland does cover tight ends well, so uh, stay away from that. Same thing with Seattle. Seattle does that that short field that 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 run defense and short field. They definitely cover. They've got a good linebacker core. Seattle's secondary is is the sketch. Uh, Jared Cook uh, going to San Francisco. Um, that's about the only thing that the 49ers can cover is at this point is tight end. So definitely watch out for that. Um, and then any of your Colts tight ends going against Tennessee. Uh, Trey Burton's good, but you roll the dice, you're probably going to bust. So try to try it at your own risk. That's my, uh, my fantasy. Uh, I wish you guys the best of luck, of course, except if you're playing me. If you're playing me, uh, I hope you lose, and I hope all of your players just fall off of a, a very tall cliff on some very sharp rocks. And, and those are my words and, of love. Yeah, you, you know, know what? what? You know, I, I expect nothing different. But, but oh, and one last thing before before one last thing before we run, I did want to highlight this. Uh, if you did not see the hit from John Rahm uh, in the Masters, this man bounced a golf ball off the oh, water yeah, I saw that. and got a hole in one. Yeah. Son of a bitch, dude! Go check that out. I know we don't—I don't give golf any love on this show, even though I, I love to play. Um, but hot damn, that was a hell of a hit. Hats off to you, sir. Yeah. Yeah. Before we go, I think it'd be good for the show. Me and you, one day when you're back here in town, or I go up there, whatever comes first. Have a little golf matchup, you know. We'll see. But we'll see what happens. That's down the road stuff. But speaking down the road, we're at the end of the road for this week's episode. Go to social media, check us out at Sports World, at Sports World, both Twitter and Instagram. Check out my personal, my personal uh, Twitter at Ladares underscore Brown, and Instagram at the Big Nerd seventy seven, and Chris at it's UFC Instagram pretend on, Twitter. <laughs> on, uh, yeah, he covered it for me to save time. What a guy! And until you hear us again, I'm Ladares and I'm Chris. Be real, be you, and be blessed from all of us here from the sports and the world podcast. See ya!